Hey guys, what's going on? Hey, massive episode for you today. Really excited to share this one with you. Jesse, my wife, and I made the road trip from Melbourne to South Australia to do a podcast interview with uh, my mate, two-time Olympian, uh, two-times Commonwealth Games bronze medalist, 225 marathon runner, Jess Trengove. Uh, I'm sure you've all heard of her. Anyone in the running scene would be a, a big fan of her work. She's a uh, She's a bit of the golden girl on the Australian women's marathon circuit at the moment. That's a big call as well because there's a there's a heap of women who are pumping uh, in the marathon scene at the moment. So I actually, I became friends with Jess back in 2010. We both uh, ran for Australia for the first time on the same team at the World Unicross Country Champs. Um, it was we, we reminisce on that a little bit during this chat, but it was really cool just to touch base with Jess right now, uh, chat to her about training, diet, nutrition, race prep. Uh, what it's like running now. She's got a little bub, how she's training, uh, how she makes it all work. It was it was a really informative episode, so I was glad we made the trek over to sit down and chat with her. Um, guys, if you're not aware, we have a, uh, an Instagram page going as well with a couple of photos and little updates that come your way, so you might be interested in that. Jump on Instagram and it's just relaxed running. You'll see the page there. We're starting to do a few updates. So I hey, hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I did. It was a real blast, and uh, Jess, is, Jess is just great value. We did this on the uh, patio or the balcony of the place that she was staying at right by the beach, so you get a couple of bird tweets and a couple of cars going past, and um, her new little man, Billy, even interrupts us halfway through the interview because he uh, he crept himself, <laughs> so he had to stop temporarily to fix that situation, but this was a blast. I'll get out of your way, me and Jess Trengove. Okay. Wait, so where where are we? What is this place called? Karakalinga. Karakalinga. So it's the yeah. training camp of Safe Australia 2020. Yeah, that's it. This is the um. <laughs> Kicking start. Kick feel... starting the Olympic year. Yeah, yeah. Far out. I got to I got to try and paint a picture here because I reckon the studio that I do in Melbourne, the studio in brackets, that's like the table <laughs> in my kitchen, um, has has nothing on this. So we're over. What's this main beach? This Karakalinga beach. I guess so, because Karakalinga is obviously. Um, a very small little, basically a strip of houses, and then Normanville's the main town, so that's where you go shopping and whatnot. So Karakalinga really is just a, a beautiful beach, aqua water. <laughs> yeah, I reckon no one in Melbourne who gives who gives a hard time to South Australia have seen this part of town. So just to paint a picture as well, you probably heard a car going past us. Then we are on a patio at the front of a house, at the back of a house, just overlooking this ridiculous water. So you're going to hear a few tweets, you're going to hear a few trucks and maybe a couple of cries from the little man in the background. Squeaking, yeah. He's looking pretty chilled out at the moment. I've though. never seen a baby looking more chilled than that. <laughs> <laughs> how's it all going? How's, how, how old is he now? Uh, nine weeks. Far out. So yeah. welcome to mum life, eh? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's I love it. Um, it's been so much fun just, just getting to know his little personality and it's just this instant intense love you feel when they're born and um it's only growing more by the day so uh yeah it's even I guess I was really nervous about the sleep deprivation but to be honest it really hasn't bothered me touch wood yet like um he sleeps from sort of three to four hours at night and then I get up for a quick feed fall straight back to sleep I guess the quality the quality of the 
I guess, smaller amount of sleep I'm getting is really high. So I might not be in bed for as long, but I'm absolutely passing out when I hit the pillow. (laughs) (laughs) So one of those things, see, the idea of having a kid, that's what freaks me out as well, is, okay, so you're not going to have your regular sleep. And I can imagine, for me, I'm no athlete anymore. I'm I'm out there just having a bit of a run around. But for Mm. someone in yourself where recovery is like a a huge part of the process was that were you nervous about the, the whole idea of welcoming new little life yeah, and how that's going to work with being I an was, elite athlete I was really nervous about being tired because it does affect um my approach to life and how I feel and um but I actually haven't felt as tired as I thought I would I don't know whether it's the hormones or or what but you also get this um change of perspective as well so previously if I only had seven hours of sleep or whatnot I would have um worried that um, you know, it was affecting my recovery and my ability to train hard the next day. But now, uh, yes, sleep doesn't sort of have that same um, meaning for me. It's more about looking after Billy. If I can get some training in, that's great. And um, yeah. So, what does training look like at the moment? Because I have, I, it's so funny. Like, you're, you're giving me an education at the same time as anyone listening. Like, I'm sure 95% of the audience would know more about this than I would. But, um, so yeah, you welcome a new little life in. All of a sudden, a couple of my friends recently have had kids themselves, and uh, just to see this massive change in the the way that they operate and what their priorities are and yeah. what they can and can't do, it's it's like a um, the selfish part of me goes, oh my gosh, I don't want anything to do with this. Yeah. But the other part of me goes, oh my gosh, like I, it's crazy to see how quickly your priorities yeah. uh, are put in perspective. Has that been something that you well, sort of felt? I guess I really, Dylan and I both were really keen to start a family and we were so grateful when I fell pregnant and from that point onwards my training priorities shifted. It's all about doing what you can do within um, what's safe for the pregnancy and learning what is safe is hard so there's only so much research you can do when no one's obviously going to want to push the limits mm. too hard um, in pregnancy so there's sort of these rough well, these guidelines, but I think every individual is very different. So, you know, there are things like you don't want to overheat and um, get your heart rate too high. And I just sort of did what training I could um, within those um, limitations and also just you naturally kind of know what feels right and what doesn't. And so for me, running at about 14 weeks got really tricky because I had um, some pelvic pain that lasted for about a month and then I got back into it and fired up the running again for a little while. When I say fired it up, I was just doing one or two jogs a week and um, within that was doing quite a bit of cross-training on the elliptical, mm. which doesn't have that same impact, so wasn't sort of um, putting as much stress on the pelvis. So I kept sort of running and cross-training until about 30 weeks and then I was just cross-training after that and that was if sort of anywhere between 45 minutes um, to sometimes up to an hour um, on the elliptical or the bike or in the pool, um, just working at a, a moderate effort and gauging how I felt on the day. So from a training perspective, I kept up that mental fitness, you know, being able to withstand a long session because I find that's the hardest. If you have a period away from running, you go back out and 20 minutes feels like two hours. It's just mentally hard like withstanding that kind of duration of training so uh yeah I was pretty happy once Billy was born that I was able to ease back into cross training and it didn't feel too too bad at all so so how long do you have to wait once you're getting back into it um is it a is it something where automatically yeah okay like we're good we're recovered we we can start just easing back into some training or is it a couple of months because I always think someone who's who's an elite athlete and they're trying to 
um, like obviously get back into the sport at a, a super high level as soon as they possibly can. The goal would be, okay, we just maintain like a, a as good as we can yeah. cardio foundation and base for as yeah. long as we can. And then once little bub comes along, we've got a pretty solid thing to yeah. start with. Well, and that was my theory, um, you know, keep up the cardio work, but also acknowledging I was about 18 to 20 kilograms heavier. So that's your strength work, just walking around, yeah. picking up something off the floor. Like everything <laughs> yeah. you do is a pretty intense strengthening <laughs> session for your legs. So when Billy was born and he was um, a cesarean um, birth because he was in a breech position, so um I had an abdominal wound and literally no abdominal core control. So for the first three weeks, I really had to respect that. I just felt like there was nothing there, no stability. Even like sitting in a chair feeding, I just felt like I couldn't hold myself up well. And so really just focused on trying to get some abdominal strength back um, within my pain limits because it was all pretty sore there and you're limited with, you know, carrying capsules and picking up your baby and whatnot. It's quite frustrating. Um, But got over that sort of three weeks and started to feel like I was getting a bit of strength back and by four weeks started easing into some light cross training and have started to sort of bring in some strength work now and um, running again as of about six weeks I started to add in the odd little jog and um, they sort of the recommendations say about 12 weeks generally but again they're all kind of quite generic guidelines it's I've been sort of just trying to read my body. I saw a women's health physio to get um, everything sort of checked out um, from a strengthening perspective and, um, yeah, I'll just keep taking each week as it comes. But, yeah, it it is quite interesting when you have your baby and suddenly – the weight of the baby and the fluid and everything there drops off. You um, have all of this leg strength that you can tap into. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited to see that. Come back into focus so, what kind of stuff did the? Uh, what was the name? The physio that specialises in this kind of stuff. The- so, the women's health physio. They'll do an internal assessment. So that's to check your pelvic floor strength and everything. Um, obviously, the the delivery method can um, impact that. And being a cesarean, my um, You still do put a lot of stress on your pelvic floor because you've been walking around for nine months with this progressively um, heavier weight that you're carrying. But for me, it was more probably the abdominal impact of Billy's birth that I had to be wary of. So again, just she checked out the scar and my um, separation of my um, the outer ab muscles, like the six pack. You can get um, quite a big separation of those two sort of sides of the muscle and I had a three-finger separation and so you had to just sort of wait for that to come back into because essentially there's no real barrier between your insides and then like you can get this like herniation type thing happening every time you go to do a sit-up out of bed or um, contract your abdominals there's just nothing there kind of holding it all in it's a weird sensation (laughs) and I love I love how um we speak about c-sections just so casually like I had a cesarean or whatever it's like a a, when you see images of it or you yeah anyone who's brave enough to check it out on youtube if you've got I'm sure you've got more time on your hands than to want to do that but (laughs) it's a a freaky kind of thing to see. well we had photos of the birth and when I was really tender in the initial stages because I think I tweaked I don't know, the wound a little bit. I went to put my rings on and my fingers were fat and swollen and I couldn't get my finger, my ring on so I went to pull it back off again and must have contracted my abs and the pain I felt oh. <laughs> was intense. And so that just 
sort of lingered for a week or two, that kind of pain there. And then I saw the photos of how open my stomach had been. I was like, oh, I'm not ready for this. And then the nurse says, you know, you've had seven layers cut through. And I was like, oh, oh don't tell me. <laughs> well, I'm, yeah. staying with a, I'm staying with a friend. Obviously, um, for anyone who doesn't know, Jesse and I live in Melbourne. So we've travelled over to catch up with Jess here in, in South Australia. But the people that we're staying with have a, have a little four-month-old. And she had a C-section as well. Yeah. And... Uh, uh, her husband said, I, I, "Like I really wanted to to see the baby being born, obviously, but <clears throat> like the idea of seeing the your, yeah. your stomach cut open can be really uh, like really confronting." And he yeah. said, "Um, he goes, the nurses were just so straight up with me. He goes, when we realised that she was having a C section, she goes, look, if you're weak in your stomach at all, get out of the room. We've already got someone we're looking <laughs> exactly. after here. We don't need someone else." He goes, "No, I think I think I'm okay." She goes, "No, no, we can't have a think. Are you okay?" And he goes. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. And he goes, uh, he walked around behind the barrier and he goes, I don't know why I said I was okay because that's really confronting to see. But he you're... stayed upright. Uh, he stayed oh, upright, good. which is braver than me because I cut my fingernails too short and I freak out. So <laughs> I have no idea how I would possibly, yeah. I would be, I would be the uh, the stereotype that they base those questions off. Like, if you're like Tyson, just get out of the room because this is embarrassing. I think it happens a bit. My um, sister's a nurse and she was actually there for the birth as well and that was partly to kind of keep Dylan under control because uh, I was a bit worried about how he'd go, but he was he was good. Well, so he stepped around and, and had yeah, a look? Yeah, he oh, did. Mate, and I think he was He's able just man. to look at it without the emotion and just see it as a work surface sure. and just like, I don't know. <laughs> he wasn't sure how he'd go, though. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad it's given me inspiration. Um, yeah, but braver than me. So did you, like, as you're going through pregnancy and things like that, is it, as you say, there's so many uh, opinions and ideas and research on what works and what doesn't and, you know, how you should do what and when. Um, was it Was it like a little overwhelming to try and figure out what did work for you or was it trial and error or did you just have certain people that you listened to about, you know, what you implemented and what you stopped? Yeah, well, being a physio really um, worked in my favour because I was able to attend a course in June. So when I was about 20 weeks pregnant, um, it was a women's health and maternity um physio course, which was fantastic because I got to know the facts and um, Taryn Hallam, who presented it, she had all of the latest sort of literature and um, some strong ideas on some things and we all got to, you know, question the norms and I loved it. So I came home feeling really informed and able to guide my own sort of training through pregnancy and postpartum as well, just knowing that... um, yeah, I had some facts there and I've, I've kind of got all of my um, booklets still from that. But I still wanted to get assessed by um, external physios as well because there's only so much you can do for yourself. So um, I've kind of worked in with other health professionals and things like monitoring my iron and whatnot's been crucial. Um, yeah, it's an area that I'd like to be able to support women in because there is a lot of mixed advice and traditionally I think health practitioners have been really conservative about what they um, prescribe and it's easier to say, oh, just don't exercise at all because, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of the safe, well, seemingly safe option but there are actually lots of um, benefits to staying active through pregnancy and whatnot within the, you know, safe limits. Have you had any mums-to-be just come up and, and try and pick your brain about like how to make it all work? Because obviously distance running is a demanding sport as it is, as is pregnancy. Yeah. So I can imagine trying to combine those two things would be like a little overwhelming for people who are still trying to, like uh, with yourself, you've got a really strong understanding of like, your body and your training and things like that. But someone getting into the sport might be like, how do I make all this work? Like, yeah. Do you have many people like that asking you questions about, you know, what you would recommend and uh, you know I'd, what you would stay away from? Yeah, I do. And it's sort of on 
social media, people might send a message, and I always sort of would say, go to your like, yeah. see a women's health um, physio and talk to your obstetrician and whatnot, because every individual is different, and some pregnancies are straightforward, and some aren't. There are some high risk pregnancies where you shouldn't be exercising, and similar to giving birth, some people really like um, need some time after giving birth to heal, and um, it. It's all, yeah, as I said, very dependent upon the situation. But, um, yeah, I think it's an area that the advice will evolve a lot over the coming sort of years and um, hopefully I can yeah, do something in that space to help people. But there are some great guidelines on I think it's Sport Medicine Australia website, which I'll often, <laughs> bless you, Billy, <laughs> um, flick through to people. He's doing a bit of ab work there. It's his new little trick. He um, pulls his knees up to his chest. and <laughs> They're so flexible. That's what uh, This trips me out about babies. Like yeah. I do a little bit of yoga just to try and keep su- uh, supple. <laughs> and like I can touch my toes now and just cross my legs. I look at Billy like he... We're yeah. not doing it anymore, but he can hold his foot to his head without even oh, no. any pressure. Like the flexibility flexibility is um, Sorry, you were saying about... Uh, yeah, just there are some good um, online resources and, and whatnot um, that sort of give people a few guidelines to work within on, I'm pretty sure it's Sports Medicine Australia. We can put it in your notes perhaps. Yeah, <laughs> no, sweet. It's funny. Man, we're growing up now. Yeah. It's weird sitting here talking about kids and the fact that I'm interested in it. Because yeah. I don't know, I reckon, so I, I knew you and I think we sort of, like we had a little bit to do with each other just through, through well, Adam no, and things like well that. Well, no, it's World Uni Games. Okay, so yeah. I was going to ask you this. Like that, I was, That's where I was getting at. So yeah. was that the first time we had been on a, hung out? Yeah, I think so because... You were hilarious. Oh, I remember much, yes. on the bus, everyone, <laughs> even the Portuguese team, I remember thought oh, you were so funny. No, you know they what? called you a horse or no, something? they called me a um, I feel like it wasn't a compliment. They were trying to convince me. <laughs> no, do you know what happened? So we um, – because everyone was a pony. Or a pony, yeah. I can't believe you remember that. Everyone was trading. Like they had a, they had their badges. And Little they, pins. Like, and I was just being, a, I don't know, chatting and maybe trying my best to be a flirt with the good-looking athletes and doing what I could. All went very poorly. And um, and I remember once one of the athletes come up and said, oh, like, um, can I, like, I like your, I like your shorts, like your, the tight shorts or whatever. I said, oh, well, you want to trade? He goes, oh, all I've got is like a little pin that goes on my shirt. And ever since then, they called me a pony. And I, was, <laughs> I remember I, I, got, I, was, I, I got back to the hotel and I remember Googling like Portuguese pony and I could find nothing for it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying my best to convince myself that they were being polite, but I, yeah. I, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not sure. Popples the pony. Yeah. But yeah, so that was 2010. World University Cross Country Champs. We had Richie Huggins oh, as our man. coach. So I was telling the story the other day. Do you remember speaking about like men with men with style? He got on the the team bus, and remember some like really pretty bus driver got on, or one of the athletes got on, <laughs> and he goes, um, he goes, oh, can you tell me are all athletes in Canada this gorgeous? And I remember me and you looking at each other, going, oh, Richie, like, stop it! Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> but she loved it, and ever since then, I loved Richie. Um, uh. But and yeah, we had so Liam Adams um, oh, on man. the trip. So he'd come from the world, like the seniors sort of open world cross champs in Poland, straight across. It was freezing in That's Kingston, right. Canada. We are at Queen's College at the buffet oh. every uh, night. I, yeah, good memories. So was that that was the was that your first Australian uh, team? Australian I'd been, team? I'd been to Nanning for the world half championships maybe actually i don't 
I'm getting all my years mixed up, I think. No, so this was before that because that was April 2010. Yes. And then at the end of that year, I went to the World Half um, Marathon Champs in Manning. So, yeah, that was my first big one. I'd been on the junior schools one to Leon in 03 or something. So how old, how old were you in 2010? Because, like, I, I look back to then and I can't – I think when, when someone mentions your name, I, yeah. I think of that as sort of like the, the start point of, of yeah. everything that sort of come along because – Well, I was 22. And that is yeah. about that's I'd stopped playing netball to focus more on running um, a year or two earlier and yeah yeah so that's interesting because I lived in South Australia in 2006 which is where I met Adam yeah um, and I was training with him and I remember your name it, it, like it, I heard it through Kate a couple of times were you training with the same coach as Adam's wife Kate yeah. at that time yeah. Yeah, Roger. so I sort of, I don't know, like were you more focused on netball and stuff yeah. at the moment? Because it's, it's funny, man. And I think Stu, we were speaking about Stewie. I feel like his name comes up every podcast, but we were speaking about him um, bef- before I hit record. And, and one thing that blows my mind with Stewie is as a as a junior, like there was nothing yeah. super stylish about his times. There was nothing fancy. And you look at the progress and you go, oh, like how did, yeah. how did that happen? I think one thing in common, if you look back, I'm assuming is like – your ability to push yourself. Like I loved all sports, played a lot of netball, basketball, tennis um, in the country. But when I did, you know, run a cross-country race or an 800 or whatever, like I would absolutely cross the line cooked. And I think as long as you've got that in you, once you do start training, you know you're going to get the most out of yourself. So um, it would be, yeah, interesting to look back at the videos of all these athletes like Stewie and see like he probably had the mental mm. everything there. He just wasn't maybe doing the, the physical training yet to see the. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a really good point. So would you say yourself back in 2010, 22, that's where you'd really started to, to put in that groundwork to, to focusing mostly yeah. on your running? Or did, that, did you say that had started a couple of years before? So. At the end of 2008, so I, that was the, my last netball season and that's when I started, you know, following a structured training program and competing without the netball training on Wednesday night games on Saturday yeah. and um, all of the, I guess that knocked my body around a fair bit. I'd play net, uh, centre court and I'd really be exhausted after that. So then I wouldn't really want to do a run on Sunday. And But, yeah, once I started focusing purely on running, yeah. I had a few hurdles just with upping the training and I remember I'd get colds and then I was having some calf problems. So a few years of just sort of getting through those like little injuries when you haven't sort of focused properly on running before yeah. and and then sort of built that strength as a platform to build on in 2012 when I ran my first marathon. Yeah, so 2012 was your – so, okay, so your was your first – what are we right now? 20, 2020. Yeah. So 2012 was your first marathon. Yeah, and in was your, March. Oh, my gosh. So did you – was that your qualification? Did you qualify yeah. for the Olympics at that stage? So that was in um, Nagoya. So okay. the idea was to go and to try and run under 232 and just see how we'd go because that was the Olympic A standard at the time. And Benita and Lisa Waitman had um, qualified for the Olympics. So there was sort of a third spot up oh. for grabs and Adam and I were like, let's just have a crack. <laughs> So what kind of like what kind of form had you? I feel like this is this is ringing like little bells in my mind because I vaguely remember having conversations with Adam about the fact that you were having a crack at the marathon uh, for the Olympics, and I was like, hang on a second, wait, like when did yeah. when did Jess become an Olympian? <laughs> and uh, man, this is this is ringing a few bells. So your, your training up to that point was obviously going super well, but 
You yeah. hadn't run a marathon before that. So Adam, um, I think, had a bigger plan. Like to me, I was just getting programs and I was slowly increasing my mileage um, and then suddenly this opportunity was I guess I'd run a half marathon in 2010 and I loved it. I remember being so excited for that race because there was no pressure. I was like, this is mm-hmm. 21 whatever Ks, let's see if I can last the distance and I really enjoyed it, getting into my own rhythm. So from that point, I knew that like the longer distances were my thing but the idea yeah. of a marathon was still daunting. In 2011, in April, um, I was at a coffee with Rob D. Costella and Sean Crichton and um, Dick Telford in Canberra and they were all sort of talking about Olympics in 2012 and, well, you should have a crack at the marathon or the steeple. And I came back and spoke to Adam about it and I think from that point he was gearing me towards um, running a marathon. So, yeah, basically a year later I ran that marathon. So he was really um, smart with my training progressions and I think I got up to maybe – the odd week at 150 kilometres a week before going into that marathon. And, again, I was really excited because I just had no real – there was no pressure. It was just like, let's get out there, try and hit these 5K splits. Yeah. And <laughs> but you sound like you did a lot. We were laughing as well before I hit record on my ridiculous marathon debut in 2018, which I don't even know why I bring up in this same realm of conversation <laughs> because it wasn't as impressive. But the idea of going in with some split times and knowing what it is that you're trying to yeah. – is, is obviously – like just to be able to break down such a long distance into sort of achievable goals through yeah. five days is, is helpful. But did you have a, a rough idea of what you might have been capable of running before you stepped onto the start line or was it just well, so up in the air you had no idea? Credit to Adam Diddick, my coach. He um he got in touch with some other coach, you know, Steve Monaghetti, Chris Wardle, other people who have um, experienced marathon training mm. just to see whether my training was kind of – roughly around the mark and so that instilled a lot of belief um, as well from his point of view but also me knowing that coaches and athletes who had done it before kind of approved of of what we'd done and he is very meticulous with his planning and sort of said in the lead up weeks you know we'll do these sessions at marathon pace give you a good feel we'll practice your fluid taking on fluids and your gels and so Mm -hmm. I felt like I had practiced everything I knew what the pace felt like um and yeah then it was just a case of getting to halfway and I got to halfway and I felt terrible I remember my shins were cramping and then I kind of tried to offload them by pushing off more and then I felt like I'd torn my calves and I remember (laughs) my hamstring in the final few kilometers just one side was just grabbing and I thought if I quickly change a corner I'm history like everything was hurting but I got to the finish line and it was one of the greatest feelings just knowing that I might be lining up in London and that preparation for London I was a lot more confident in what I was doing because suddenly I knew that you know the training did translate to a marathon that I was happy with but I had to get a lot stronger because I think um, I hadn't been doing gym work. I'd just been doing the running training and mm. I felt like the wheels were falling off quickly in that first marathon. <laughs> I think this is something that's so interesting to um, – so a lot of the people who listen to this aren't necessarily at the elite level but they're, they're fun running or they're getting more serious about their running. And uh, one question that comes up a lot is, is like what things outside of my running do I look after to make sure that my running keeps improving? Yeah. Because Obviously, you think, oh, I'm going to be a runner. I just need to run more and you yeah. know, hopefully not get injured. But it's interesting that the strength component, even for someone who is running Olympic qualifying times, was something you look at and go, oh, my gosh, like there's 
room room for imp- uh, yeah. improvement here. So what, what, what kind of things does that look like? So how do you implement a gym program into a um, a marathon training program yeah. to complement that training? So with marathon training, I think it's about doing gym work that will help you to prevent injuries. It's not necessarily like my husband, Dylan, who's an 800 runner, his gym is about performance. He's doing box jumps and plyometric things, really you know, heavy weights that improve his power and Whatnot. Whereas for me, it's more about building my stability so that I can withstand the marathon training and getting my calves a bit stronger, really working on my foot strength and stability and just some movement patterns and um, flexibility as well. And then the other things I think are really important, I used to say sleep and I still do believe sleep, but I'm realizing sleep, as long as you can like function well mentally, you kind of you're okay. Like sleep is such an individual thing, I think. Um, and nutrition, I think I've always thought was important, but now that I'm experiencing exercising with less sleep, I'm realizing the nutrition probably is a big part of it. Oh, um, I never really knew which one it was, but I'm thinking nutrition is a really heavy player in performance, just injury prevention, illness prevention, performance, um, just yeah helping your immunity and and i guess timing of it all you know with your guts and how they feel is important as well yeah it was so funny so i um actually one of the questions and feel free to pass this off because it's just a disgusting question but i'll be interested to hear <laughs> and i think a lot of people would i um i recently did a survey to a whole heap of distance runners about what they're interested in learning from people like yourself and uh, one of the questions that came up more than once is like, I'm, I'm constantly scared of shitting myself during yeah. a marathon, which I've been on enough long runs to know that it's a dangerous proposition, like to run 42Ks for th- three hours, two and a half, whatever it is you're going to be. Yeah. Like, are there certain steps that you take? Because we've all seen the famous photos of Paula Radcliffe pulled off on the yeah. side of the road going, oh, I didn't quite, I didn't quite nail it. Yeah. But the nutrition component is, is obviously such a huge part of the yeah. preparation and the planning, not only for your energy, but so you're not cramping and just, you know, getting these little issues that are not only going to be embarrassing but cost you time but how, how do you organize nutrition yeah. is there certain um i'll just be interested to pick your brain about sort of the lead up to uh, race day or, or even just your general training yeah nutrition i think if you go back like dad's a um a vet um loves animal health and animal nutrition and he's always been passionate about nutrition mum loves cooking and loves you know doing a big shop up of um good fruit and veg and making creative salads and um I guess I've grown up in an environment where we love food and and good food and a really balanced diet. So I've got a lot to thank mum and dad for from that regard. I think just having generally good gut health is important. And um, for some people who have intolerances, you've got to, you know, get on top of that, um, trying to get your probiotic things in so that, because if you've got that sort of irritable bowel syndrome and in Paula's case I think she'd been on long-term anti-inflammatories and she did have a bit of irritable bowel she's spoken about which could have influenced that Mm -hmm. so trying to generally stay healthy and then um, specifically I think it's a lot to do with timing so Mm -hmm. before a run working out what your gut can tolerate for you and I we were chatting earlier we can both handle oats which are high in fiber but some people need to completely stay away from fiber and have those what they call low res foods so something as basic as some white toast and honey or you know you can do rice bubbles but you know you might not like the dairy you've, you've just got to practice and see what works for you but for me the only time I really go low fiber is for the marathon race itself because I do a carb load if I'm having too much fiber I get to the start line feeling so uh, 
I don't know what the word is, like lethargically heavy almost, like you got all this fibre on board, you've drawn in all the water that you've been taking on. Yeah. So by following a low-fibre diet in the lead-up to a race, I can still feel energised, full of carbs, but kind of light. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard some crazy stories about the, the carb loading um, world, like through Steve Monaghetti's autobiography and yeah. things like that. So what is to someone who uh, has no idea about, you know, how, how they would prepare or that they're getting ready for their first marathon. And I heard you mention gels and things just a moment ago. Had had no idea really to start with, okay, um, like how do I feel myself? How do I feel myself during my race? Even I, like who, who's got a pretty good understanding of the running world, when it comes to gels, it's something that's still foreign to me. Like yeah. I, I've tried a couple of Endura gels and um, whether or not I just haven't done it for, for long enough, it just it, it seems to um, be a really uncomfortable thing in my stomach. So I'm trying yeah. to, like with the next marathon that I want to run, I'm toying with the idea of potentially just getting a liquid form of, of some sort. Like, yeah. Do you have a preference when you're racing a marathon? Do you carry gels with you or is it all liquid or, or how do you manage that? Um, I've tried different things in the past and to be honest, at times I've um, loved a gel and then I've had – you know, my third marathon on that gel and I'm, I'm done with this. Like yeah. I can't handle this one anymore and I've had to shift um, brands. So, you know, anything from Endura to Goo to SIS and um, the Talk gels I find are like sitting well with me at the moment or the last marathon I did. But as you say, there are some great um, like fluids out there now. Um, there's, I know there's Prepped and SIS have some and um there's a Vitago one that's like got different types of carbohydrates that are digested through different means and so you can kind of absorb more carbs. I trialled that actually in 2018 and it worked well. So I do think if you really didn't like the gels, there are enough sort of fluid options out yeah. there now because it is a, that's a big challenge for a lot of people is, yep, they've done the training, but how can they get that energy in without upsetting their guts? Mm. Um yeah, it's interesting. Like it's, a, and I feel like it's one of those things that's overwhelming. You can go into chemist warehouse and just see like your twenty-seven different options. Yeah. And um, I got totally suckered by. Um, well, actually, not even suckered. Like I actually enjoy it. But I've been using a few of those Voost. Oh yeah, those yeah, Voost yeah. tablets. Which after my long run, I just been popping one of those in like five hundred mils of water. And yeah. I, I, it seems like I crave that after a after a long run. But is it something that when you're when you're doing your training, are you are you like you might have Adam or someone next to you on the bike, but are you practicing just taking on those fluids just so you can get used to having it in yeah. your guts for the main race? Early on it was really important. Um, in my last couple of marathons, my latest marathon in Toronto, I was in Europe and um, didn't really get the opportunity to practice, but I think I've, I now know which bottles I can use and get fluid in and I, I'm sort of confident that I can handle it so I haven't had to train it as much. But given I've had quite a long spell from marathon training now, it's probably something I would be practicing again ahead of my next one. Um, but, you know, there's now, you know, Morton and things like that out on mm. the market that I'd love to try. And, I've heard that name um, come up quite a bit yeah, recently. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I know Team Tempo have been loving that product and, um, you know, Revy's for some caffeine as well. There are so many options out there. So it's a matter of choosing what seems to work best for you and then practicing with that option. Yeah, so I took you. I took us on a little bit of a detour there, but um, I want to get back to what we were speaking about a moment ago. Um, so 2012, yep. you disqualified. Did you run 2:31 in your first marathon? Yeah, is that... I think it's 2:31:02 or 2:31:12. Uh, yeah, one of those two times. I think 
maybe 2.31.12. <laughs> yeah, and that was pretty much, so that gave you the, the tick of approval to get on the Australian team for your first Olympics. To some extent, so that was March the 9th I ran that, but the qualifying period I think ended in the, at the beginning of June and I know there were still a few women running marathons in that period, so I just had to hold my breath and see what other people ran and yeah. hope that I'd get my spot. And Oh, you're nicer I than did. me. So I would say hope that they got the flu. <laughs> <laughs> you're not allowed to say that. <laughs> that was that was my words, not yours. I was saying, so I need my really controversial statement from Jess Chengo just so you can get on the covers of all newspapers. Can't believe you said that. No, okay. So um, once you once you got the tick of approval, you're on board. You're ready to go. Um, that must be a like that's something I dreamed about as a kid. The idea of getting selected for your first Olympic team and yeah. um, being given that. I, I've seen uh, I follow your Instagram and uh, I know you well enough to know how much you appreciate the opportunity to run in the green and gold. But like walk us through that whole experience yeah. of being selected and then then being on your first team and and, and then like to competing in your first Olympics. It's a, yeah, it's a crazy. Well, wasn't that glamorous? How I found out. I remember I was in a bank meeting <laughs> and I saw Athletics Australia was calling me. I was like, Oh, do you mind if I just step out? And so. I've stepped out onto the street and I found out I've made the Olympic team and then I had to go back into the bank, sit through my meeting and then I, um, yeah, went around like making phone calls and of course, you know, your parents don't pick up first time around, you're like, come on (laughs) and uh, it was crazy that period from mid-June to say late July when we headed off to London or Tombridge for the training camp because I was still working full-time as a physio and there are a few, I guess, commitments or so much paperwork, um, you know, trying on uniforms and and then the media kind of commitments, just trying to fit everything in on top of your training, which was meant to be, you know, the, the main focus. I got quite stressed out. So when I finally got to the training camp, um, I remember I'd like left my phone in the bathroom in the airport in Sydney, got onto the plane to London, realised as the plane was about to take out, off, ran out, um, <laughs> the lady in the terminal had my phone, like it was, I, I was, my head was somewhere else, but we got there and um, I loved the Olympic experience, it was phenomenal. Yeah, what's it like when you get there and you, um, like we were laughing before, you were telling me about when you do talks in the school and you know, you might have a couple of kids who are a little bit harder to engage than some of the other kids and whenever you find that they're not listening, you'll just drop the fact that you yeah. saw Kobe Bryant, <laughs> <laughs> which is so funny but also it must be a, a like a crazy experience for you to start rubbing shoulders with some of these people that you've seen not only on like a local sports scene but some of the, the biggest sports people. Yeah. In the world. Was, that, was that strange for you? Cause it was very surreal. It's interesting yeah. to me that you even say um, – you and I, I know there's so much that goes on under the surface that like with everyone yeah. um but the fact that you said it was a stressful time and your head was in another place you seem and, and I think this is the the opinion that a lot of people have of you is that you're very cool you're very calm and collected um mm. so it's interesting to hear you say that that stress was even a factor for yeah. you during that whole process well once I got to the camp in Tombridge I felt so relaxed yeah. um I remember Adam was a bit um antsy like just wanting to get all of the details of the the course and whatnot and I was like oh it's all right like we'll work it out on the day you know I'll, I'll run around and I'll I'll work out where I shouldn't be running and you know so Adam has a very methodical approach and I was more just like wide-eyed wanting to soak up as much as I could and um, got some good training done in Tombridge with some of my you know heroes there was like the Mottrams and whatnot there who I was still sitting at the dining table starstruck by Sally Pearson (laughs) and everyone they were all amazing like the team camaraderie was fantastic and got into the village and Laurie Lawrence does this you know fire up talk and 
we all um he's a swimming coach isn't he yeah yeah, yeah. and uh at the opening ceremony there was like lauren jackson and um yeah just so many people that i was so excited to see and then you sort of get to race day and it's like this is actually happening now and spotted my parents in the crowd wow. and and off we went and you don't really have too much time to think about the enormity of it. It was at about 13 kilometres. I remember realising, like, the TVs are on me, my whole country, you know, like, people are watching at home and this is a really big deal. And I had a bit of a panic attack kind yeah. of within the race and I remember I just wanted to run off into the crowd. I, I just wasn't feeling comfortable um, knowing that I still had so far to run as well. <laughs> kind of got through that little patch and then... Um, yeah, it, the noise was insane in London and coming down the home straight, I'd heard someone yell out what I thought was 15th. Um, it was 50th in hindsight. <laughs> and so I'm like, I think I'm coming about 15th and just charging <laughs> home, looked up and saw 39th. And I, I was like, cause I'd passed a lot of people since I'd heard 50th. Yeah. And, um, I just, I don't know. I'd. I think when you run a marathon, you don't have much oxygen going to your brain. And so I've crossed the line and I've seen 39th. And I was like, I don't know if I'm happy with this or what, what it really means. And it took quite a few weeks to process it all and work out, yep, I was happy with my run and, and then to find another goal. So that's probably my first Olympics was where I experienced that post-championship feeling of like, what now? Like I just feel like I'm, I'm floating in this weird territory because I've just come off such a high and I don't know what goal to set next so yeah it's funny uh, that's something that I, I learned was a thing even having been in the sport for so long um so speaking with Motram's group when I was training with them in the lead up to the marathon I was that I bombed at so horribly um was was this idea of a marathon come down like just having that goal um in your mind so firmly fixed and all your trainings targeted toward that for so long that once it's over, you're a little bit just like, oh, okay, so where do I put all yeah. this enthusiasm and, and energy? And is, is that pretty common to the marathon scene? Do you find that's um, common after every marathon or after like just your big championships like the Olympics or, yeah. or Com Games? I think in my first couple it was quite um, prominent, but then I've learnt now what strategies to put in place. Like after a major race, you know, take some time to have a bit of a holiday, um, you know, don't get back into running too soon just let your body recover and and do some of those things that you didn't get to do when you're in heavy training and that kind of ties you over and by the time you know three weeks have passed you're able to start some jogging again and you might get the diary out and sort of set a new goal so I think over the years I've learned how to um, prevent that post event blues patch Mm. So it's a real thing, hey? Like the, yeah. just that, that feeling of, oh, what the heck am I going to yeah. do? Yeah, because you've had your sights set on something and you've had all of your attention sort of directed towards that for so long. When that thing's not there anymore, you're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so have you started to um, you started to sort of pencil in a couple of, uh, I have no idea, you're going to have to educate me, Jess. Like, so after having a baby, I don't know about like recovery and how long to your back running your best. Yeah. Is, is uh, Tokyo something on your on your mind or is to get a spot on the team at Tokyo I wouldn't only need to run a qualifier now I'd need to run a good couple of minutes under it so we've got it's fantastic Australia's female distance running is so strong we've got depth we've got quality um so you know where a 228 might have been enough previously it'd be about a 226 or faster now Mm -hmm. so I'd need to run a qualifying time before um 
before the end of May, which is a very tight turnaround. But I've basically just said, let's just take each week as yeah. it comes and not yeah. not set any goals in concrete because once I do set my sights on something, I work pretty hard to get there and I don't want to take that approach with this because I've obviously there's Billy and I've got to make sure he's happy with it all and um, I'm feeding him. I don't want to affect my supply. I'm at a higher risk of, you know, certain injuries and so I'm just not setting any really concrete goals but also not setting any limitations. I'm just riding it out, increasing my training gradually and seeing, yeah, what that leads to. So. Yeah, so right now how much uh, how much sort of running are you doing? Like what's a weekly average in, in terms of Ks? Um, I'm looking at about two sessions a week and that's only started in like the last two weeks and a longer run of up to an hour and then a couple of jogs. So it might work out to be 50 or 60 kilometres yeah, this week but – Certainly three weeks ago, wasn't much at all. <laughs> Little Billy's firing up. Yeah, he's uh, got a dirty nappy. I heard something before. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> so this is baby talk. So we might need to put a little pause on it just for a sec. Hey, let's hit pause. Let's hit pause. That's fine. <gasps> oh, I'm Sweet, we're back. I'm not even um, sure how we just finished that up, but Billy <laughs> just dropped an absolute whopper. He had. Yeah, oh, <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> far out. So this is uh, this is me just getting educated on on parent life. life. <laughs> As we go, you joke that we should have put a photo of what just happened on um, social yeah. media. I reckon I would have lost two hundred followers. <laughs> yeah, yeah Billy about? might not have been impressed down the track either. Um, we were talking about. London Olympics and that kind of post championship kind of blues ah, yes. that you can go through. Um, yeah. So you're, okay. Yeah. So you're saying that you've got it down to a, a bit of a fine art now, knowing what it is that you need to do in order to to help you recover from yeah. you know that race and plan for the next one. Yeah. What what comes into planning? Like when you uh, chose that was it? What was the name of the first marathon you ever ran? Nagoya. Nagoya. So how? What comes into the process of choosing a marathon? Is it fast times, competition, prize money, all yeah, of the above? So the course, um, the travel, so Japan, you know, the time difference isn't too extreme, not too far to travel. Um, timing, so thought early March would give me enough time if I did get the qualifier to be able to recover and prepare for London in August. Um, and then just being able to get into the race as well is a factor, but the climate's a big one as well. So cool conditions are favourable. Generally, the coastal ones can be a bit hit and miss because of the sea breeze. And- yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Okay, yeah, I think Melbourne's got a little bit of a reputation for being a, a, a bit of a blowy course, doesn't it? Like the, yeah. the year I did it was was, was pretty calm, yeah. um, but I've heard some stories about getting along St Kilda Beach where it just gets wild. Yeah. Um, so is that why a lot of athletes would sort of opt for your international marathons, which have got a reputation for being a bit more consistently faster when yeah. it comes to trying to hit a big well, time? Like your Berlins and um, races like that, Chicago generally, but New York you don't generally go to for a fast time. That's more of a just experiencing an incredible race, I think, because that's quite hilly. And so, yeah, the different um, marathons around the world have their different sort of uh, – I guess pros and cons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One thing I was going to ask you as well is, uh, you've got a reputation. I reckon when you get on the start line, it's it's pretty much guaranteed it's going to be a good race. For as long as I've known you, <laughs> uh, I feel like there hasn't been too many like blowout performances. Do you know what I mean? Where it just doesn't go uh, according to plan. I'm sure there's a few in your mind that might not have yeah. been as you know ideal as what you were aiming for. But 
it's something that I think is it's like underappreciated or under undervalued, I guess, for a lot of athletes because it can just go so many different directions, especially in an yeah. event like a marathon. Like, how have you got yourself to a, a point where you can run pretty consistently within? They always seem to be faster every time you run a marathon. Have they <laughs> have they got quicker? Oh, it. It depends on the race, like the championship races. I haven't always gone faster because sometimes they're more tactical. But I think as long as I've got the training done that I know I needed to get done, so Adam will set my program and I line up pretty confidently that I'll be able to, you know, execute what I hope to as long as I do stick, you know, I'm disciplined with getting my drinks on board and my nutrition right. And because I don't, I've got quite a, um, a set pre-race nutrition plan and I've worked with a dietitian to refine that. So I think I've tried to eliminate as many variables as possible that could throw the result and um, by keeping that consistency, it helps you line up feeling confident that, you know, as long as you do X, Y, Z, you should get a particular result. <laughs> yeah, and from your experience, what are some of the variables that you're looking at in order to make yeah. sure that you're giving yourself the best chance you can to run quick? So I think, you know, getting the taper right. Um, so I stick to the same taper every time pretty much. Um, making sure I stick to the same nutrition plan leading up to the race but then also during the race and hydration. You know, if it's a hotter race, I'll really address the hydration a bit more um, and, you know, have the um, – the urine concentration tests beforehand to check that I'm hydrated and um, we're fortunate in the major races where you've got, you know, the support crew from Athletics Australia, you you can have those things done. Um, If I've got any injuries, you know, I'm making sure I'm not overtraining in the lead up and flaring those up to a point where they'll become a a factor in the race. Like I respect my injuries and Mm. Uh, what are the other variables? Footwear, like I wouldn't go wearing something different to what I'm used to. Um, what, what shoe yeah. do you race in? I know you're an ASICS girl, but yeah, so when you're a race day, what are you, what are you rocking? It's been the Tarvazil in the last couple. So their race shoes changed a little bit over the years as well, but the current one is the, the Tarvazil. Yeah, so during the lead-up to a race, you'll chuck those on for like a, a tempo or a threshold run just to get a little bit of a feel for it? Yeah, look, like with the ASICS range, I'm so familiar with it now. I don't really need to wear in a particular shoe too much before I wear it for the race, but um, I do like to yeah get a couple of little sessions in beforehand. And, um, you know, I do all the blister prevention stuff as well just to be sure, um, rubbing some sort of, you know, Vaseline-like <laughs> substance. So there's all these different um, products you can get. Um, but, yeah, basically Michael Shelley always talks about not having um, long toenails as well. Like they're all factors you need to think of because one little sharp bit of toenail can absolutely cut up the next toe. Oh, so <laughs> yeah, gee. It's such a brutal sport, the marathon. It's um, Muhammad Ali's got that great quote about it being uh, not the mountain that you're trying to face, but the, like the pebble in your shoe. Yeah, exactly. Or the toenail in your shoe. I can't imagine that it's uh, that is the case in the marathon. The most comfortable experience. What about like we just got a, a few more minutes because um, you got your hands full here with little Billy. <laughs> um, but uh, like when you get back from a, a major championship like that and you've done really well, obviously in Adelaide you're a little bit of a goal. Actually, not even just Adelaide anymore. Like in Australia, in the marathon scene, you've when people say female marathon runner, you're pretty much, I reckon, the name that comes to most people's mind. Like, <laughs> There's a that... few girls, you know, like, you know, we've got Lisa Waitman, Sinead Diver, Ellie Pashley, Millie Clark. Like, it's, it's really exciting, um, the women's marathon scene in Australia at the moment. So I think we're all pushing each other to 
to get better as well because you can't rest on your laurels at the moment. To make a team, you've got to be really, as I said, running a few minutes under the Olympic standard now. <laughs> Gee, that's uh, exciting. That's exciting. How did you deal with that? Um, I guess uh, I guess you had a little bit of uh, like for anyone who doesn't know, like your, your brother was obviously captain of Melbourne for a, mm. for a couple of seasons, then came back to Port Adelaide. Um, so I guess the, that that sporting fame, I guess in in the Australian circuit, has been in the blood a bit. You probably had some time mm-hmm. to deal with it but was it a strange experience for you to get back and be recognized for the fact that you're a good runner um did you get stopped a lot like um, i'm really interested just to know what that journey towards people knowing who yeah. just drink like just stenson now the time i did was probably after the glasgow commonwealth games just because i think that race was um televised back here at peak hour on a sunday night or something so it was kind of fun just <laughs> i don't know i i really enjoy communicating and i socializing and chatting to people so it was sort of fun to have a talking point and anything that inspires people to maybe take up running or lead a healthier lifestyle or something I think is positive so you can sort of have a positive influence on someone or get them excited it it makes me happy (laughs) you must get a lot of runners or people in sports in general just contacting you going hey thanks for the inspiration do you do you get many people contact you asking questions or guidance or I do a bit it's really nice particularly now it's been more sort of mums who are getting back into exercise but then also quite a few school students and yeah there are a lot of um probably 12 from me (laughs) (laughs) no there's a lot of um there's this year 12 research project which has been introduced since i was at school but get quite a lot of um questionnaires for um, students research projects and whatnot so that is quite interesting you know answering their questions and and being able to help students out i like that and yeah Oh, man. It's, is... it's a new world with social media and how people can sort of contact people now. I, like back when I started running, that wasn't like in 2012, even the Olympics, social media wasn't nearly what it is now. It's funny, and everyone, like every athlete seems to have like that that profile that they're they're not looking after it well some of them i guess are looking after it and it's a mm. good outlet for sponsors and stuff to get rec- recognition as yeah. well but i guess yes do you feel like you have to be so cautious with what you're posting and yeah because if you look at my instagram feed you're like what are you doing Toss? Like, it's a ridiculous <laughs> selfie um your wife's hair looks silly but i guess you can't just chuck something up there that's just going to well, get a quick you just have and, to know there are a lot of eyes on it and it might yeah. be some you know some 12 year olds yeah. who like certain you know things aren't you just know that, um, yeah, everything you put up um, could be seen by quite a few people. So you've got to make sure you're putting across, you know, what you believe in and, and yeah. the right sort of positive messages. That's all. Well, I follow you on Instagram and I'm a, I'm a fan. I, oh. I approve your feed. 12 year old, you say. Jess, I'm going to let you go because uh, you've literally got your hands full. Um, Billy's got his mouth full. Yeah, he's having a little feed. And uh, we'll have to do it again sometime, maybe yeah. when you're in Melbourne or. Uh, well, this is so much better, honestly. I'm never going to do a Skype interview with you now that we've done this <laughs> with this view. But, hey, thanks for making the time. And uh, that yeah, was, Well, was... at least next time I'll sort of be able to say what did work and maybe what didn't work with the return to training yeah. post-pregnancy because it's a little bit too early at the moment, um, nine weeks on. I haven't sort of done a whole lot yet. But <laughs> No, excited to watch from here. You're right as well, just to wrap it up, the, um, the women's marathon's looking good, so I'm pumped to, to see yeah. you get back in action and <laughs> see a couple of big times get thrown down. But... Um, Anyway, I'll leave you to it. Thanks so much, Jess. Thanks, Tass. Cheers.